This is Rewired Radio with Erica Spiegelman, addiction and wellness specialist, motivational speaker, and author, helping individuals, couples, and families regain a sense of control, leading to personal growth, wellness, and a more fulfilling life. Here's Erica Spiegelman. Welcome, everyone. Today, I am so thrilled to have with me Marcia Stone and really want to welcome her to the Rewired Radio Show. I've been really trying for a long time to to get her here, and she is a true visionary in the recovery field. Marcia owns Bringing Real Change Recovery, and it's a treatment center which provides clients with a set of skills and spiritual practices that will be incorporated and assimilated into their minds and hearts and allow them to recreate their lives in such a real way. BRC's unique approach to recovery has been met with great success, and Marsha's here today to talk about her center, her innovative vision for the field of addiction treatment, and how she integrates her own experience into her work at BRC. Marsha, welcome to the show. I'm so honored to have you with me today. Thank you, Erica. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yes. I mean, I feel like the intro doesn't even do you justice because you are like so multifaceted and you are, you know, you do so many things day to day. So let's just start with just telling me a little bit about the vision of creating BRC and what makes this this center and company different. Okay, great. Well, BRC Recovery has been around for about 10 years. Um, Our founder was a man by the name of Mark Houston. And he was also a real visionary and pioneer in the recovery industry. And um, I came on board with Mark Houston in about 2009 and eventually um, was named CEO after Mark's untimely death. And we really began to evolve the brand and evolve the scope um, of the people that we could reach. And and it became incumbent upon us to, to... rebrand the company as BRC Recovery, which stands for Bringing Real Change, because that's truly our vision and truly what we set out to do with each individual and each family that comes into our care. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic. And as you were saying, you know, things, you know, as time goes on, we have to kind of be innovative with time and change and, and kind of see what the needs are of our clientele. I mean, you and I have discussed this, that the demographic now has maybe changed too. the age is different, the drugs are different. So how is it that you have been able to have your finger on the pulse to kind of see how to treat the individual as as the world's been changing? Well, you're absolutely right. Like I said, um, you know, I've been in this business since 2009, and and what I've seen over the last five to seven years especially is the median age of our census has just gotten younger and younger. And as our clients have gotten younger and more involved in more synthetic types of substances, we've seen that, you know, um, their cases were more clinically complicated. And so Mm -hmm. what we've done is we've really branched out. Um, BRC Recovery was, as I said, was originally Mark Houston Recovery, and it was founded to treat chronic relapsers, people that had been in and out of treatment and could not really take all of the information that they'd gained while they were in treatment and put it into practical application. And so, you know, BRC to this day is a long-term program that is devoted um, to developing, um, like you were saying in the intro, a set of life skills and practices that really develop the kind of almost muscle memory that's going to be required um, to take them into long-term recovery and, and permanent freedom from addiction. And then as we were talking about the, uh, the, the clients getting younger and more mm-hmm. clinically complicated, just this year um, I branched out and, and made a new sister company within the BRC um, parent company called Spearhead Lodge. 
And that yes. is um, a treatment center that's really devoted to treating young adults that are suffering from addiction. I love it. So, I mean, it's an extended care treatment facility too. So it's, it's, it's something that can hold them while they're after their first 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Exactly. Um, Spearhead Lodge uh, is for young adult males ages 18 to 26. And okay. really and truly we have started um, a brand new type of approach to young adult recovery where these young people um, who cannot even imagine that addiction could possibly end their lives um, mm-hmm. are really given an opportunity to have a phased approach to recovery where they're really motivated um, to change from the very beginning. You know, a lot of motivational interviewing type skills are used and, and a phase system has been created where they're able to see that, you know, after so much time, they're going to be able to, you know, have a little bit more freedom. And after so much time, they're going to be able to have a little bit more autonomy. And it's just really an opportunity for them to gradually come into looking better, feeling better, doing better. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like recovery happened so organically within that young adult space that we needed to set up a container to make that possible. That's so amazing and so so needed. And I just, I feel like so many of these young people seem to fall or trip or whatever and it's hard for them to get back up when they don't have other people there to kind of mirror for them that it's okay your identity may be changing but yet Mm -hmm. we're still here to hold you we're still here to guide you and I think that 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 fear of success or fear of you know uh, actually becoming a different role in your family or different role in 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 terms, in in contrast to who you are in society, like all that is scary and it's uncomfortable for some of these younger kids. So um, it sounds like you really have thought about that uh, very thoroughly and and have people there to help them. So that's fantastic. And where is is it to let our audience know? Well, BRC Recovery is outside of Austin, Texas um, on a 70-acre ranch and Spearhead Lodge is in North Austin, um, you know, more of an urban feel. Um, It's in Mm -hmm. a... It's on. It's on two acres. I mean, land is a plenty in Texas, but um, <laughs> that's a lot for here, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. But you know, just in full disclosure, um, I have uh, two adult sons that are in their early twenties, and and both of them, within the last couple of years, struggled with their own um, uh, encounter with addiction. And thankfully, mm-hmm. both of them are now in recovery. But you know, Erica, what happened was the treatment professional in me and the mother in me began Mm -hmm. to converge, and my heart was just lit on fire with how do I develop a program for young adults that's just able to catch them before they fall all the way down. You know, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we were talking about this the other day, some peers and I, and we were saying, you know, young adults um, don't have the, the time to hit, quote, rock bottom like it used to be talked about in the addiction treatment field, you know, with heroin, Mm -hmm. with um, fentanyl, with synthetics, death happens before rock bottom with young adults. And so uh, for me, it was incumbent to, to develop a program that got their attention and really captured their energy and captured their enthusiasm for life to bring them to a place of recovery instead of waiting for some you know disaster to happen before that process mm-hmm. could start. I don't believe that that's the truth for young adult recovery. I believe that they can be, um, uh, we came up with a hashtag called hook them with a vision and that's, you know, mm-hmm. a playoff that UT Longhorns. But we believe that we can hook them with a vision of hope and recovery and, and joy. I love it. I love it. And and really, uh, just the work that you're doing around this this age group and this demographic and, and what's going on with 
With the with the opioid epidemic in this country, I think that th- we do have to look at this as a completely new and and different beast because there's just so many people dropping dead. And like you said, this is not the alcoholic that's been drinking for you know 45 years or right. 30 years or or 15 years even. You know, this is something where these kids are getting on this at while their brains are developing in their teenage years and really don't have the life skills or coping skills um, to even know how to get themselves out of these holes. They are that young. You know, and they're right. that, I, th- I think, um, disconnected at that age. So it's really, it's something different, you know. I mean, I think this this whole um, image and, and stigma of addiction is really changing and becoming something where it's every, you know, I, I, I just talked to somebody um, that lived in like a little, you know, suburban neighborhood and, and half the, the high school now has, you know, kind of been experimenting with drugs. I mean, this is like totally changing. And, and there's a lot of things we can do for prevention, but also, like you said, awareness and hook them and and creating an education around this is really important. And, and I know that you have so many ideas. Um, Are you guys branching out to communities? uh, Like in Texas? Are you kind of thinking of other ways how to get them prevention wise even before to educate them on what these drugs? Yeah. We are. We have um, we have people that that work for us all over the country. We have um, an employee in Atlanta, Georgia, and a couple of employees in the Northeast, and an employee there in the Los Angeles area. And I've really mm-hmm. encouraged all of them there to really be part of community outreach. And individually, they've all taken upon themselves to join local task force, to join local community panels, to really begin to talk about this um, in 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 a new and exciting way, you know, one of the things that I believe in when I'm running a treatment center or running a recovery center is I have to really um, have a mantra of passion over pathology. I think for too long we have labeled mm-hmm. addicts, labeled alcoholics, labeled, you know, heroin addicts or junkies or, or whatever. Right. And what I really encourage my employees, <clears throat> whether they're business development people or therapists, or, you know, recovery coaches, whatever their job is, is to really go with the mantra, passion over pathology, because we want to reconnect people with their hopes, their dreams, their passions, and who they are as individuals, and to let them understand that although addiction is a disease, alcoholism is a disease, it does not necessarily define who they are for the rest of their lives, and they can really begin to look at recovery and look at life in a whole new way. Yeah, absolutely. And so I visited Marsha in Austin, Texas and saw BRC and and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous piece of land and a beautiful place and and really such a wonderful staff, Um, really talented and committed and authentic people. So bravo to you for finding such a a great group. Um, And and I know when I was there, you guys were telling me a couple of stories about how, you know, the, the chronic relapsing for these young kids creates um, you know, this identity for them, like they think they're faded, mm-hmm. you know, kind of in this role. And, um, and I know you take them back with open arms in some cases, if, if they're willing to try and commit again. But how do you see, where do you see sometimes a change or a click? I know it's different for everybody. And I know that you have your own experience with recovery. But what do you think that that is? Do you have any kind of insight for, you know, is there is there something where it's an internal change? It's a change of looking at your, who you are, or realizing your behaviors don't define you? Or is there something that, you know, maybe you've seen as a pattern? You know, I think I think it is different for every single individual, but I think, you know, mm-hmm. I can see a pattern across the board, especially with young people, um, where they begin to understand what powerlessness mm-hmm. really means. And they really begin to understand um, that all of their behaviors, quote-unquote, 
that they mm-hmm. um, felt so much guilt and so much shame around and so much judgment around were really just, um, you know, part of an illness. I always talk about alcoholism and addiction as a spiritual illness with physiological manifestations, meaning that, that, you know, this disconnectedness that every single alcoholic and every single addict feels plays out in their lives in terms of, you know, emotionally acting out, physically acting out, um, whether they've been abused or, or, or they have been an abuser. These are all manifestations of this illness. And so we, we, when we begin to show them the truth about that and then yeah. also begin to surround them with people who've come out on the other side of that through a set of, you know, simple spiritual practices that we show them, um, mm-hmm. then they're able to see that there is hope for them. And we begin to be able to replace hope with hopelessness. One of the things I'm proudest of um, with the whole BRC family is that mm-hmm. um, alumni is and always has been our strongest referral. We just had our alumni reunion in October, and we had over 600 people flying from all oh, over wow. the country to be a part of a celebration of life and recovery in, in the future. And so when we have people that are, you know, inpatient, so to speak, and they're able to, you know, understand their own powerlessness yeah. and see with their own eyes tangible examples of hope all around them, it's just a very magical prescription for success. And so, um, you know, while it's always different, I think when we be- can begin to show them hope um, through our own stories and through our own lives, then they're able to really see that that can be true for them as well. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 600 people to exhibit that is incredible. What bravo. That's so amazing. And to keep, you know, in touch with everybody and, and see that, you know, there really is there really is so many opportunities that we could all of us can create I mean it's it's the most empowering thing once you finally realize that and speaking of coming out on the other side um, if you don't mind just telling the audience a little bit about you know your own personal journey in recovery just because you know I feel like everyone's example uh, is is so powerful for for our audience to hear oh I'd love to do that you know I'm very open about my own recovery story um, I um I was in and out of treatment for about six years um, after having had some degree of success in life. Um, I was an attorney. I was licensed in two states. Um, I was a mother. I was a wife. And, you know, what I always talk about with my own recovery story is sort of what I was talking about um, with the manifestations of the disease of alcoholism. And that Mm -hmm. is that, you know, I had lots of intentions. I wanted to be a great lawyer. I wanted to be a great mother. I wanted to be a great wife and a great daughter but my disease was keeping me from matching my intentions with my actions. And so through, you know, a family intervention and then some, you know, intervention from the bar associations that I was involved with, um, you know, I was, I was basically given an ultimatum to, you know, either Mm -hmm. lose my license forever or go to long-term treatment, which I eventually did. And, and I entered a long-term gender specific treatment center that, that just did a fantastic job of showing me, um, the way home, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been sober um, now for eight and a half years, and wow. although I don't practice law anymore, um, I can say that my life has been recreated in such a powerful way that, that I can never, um, ever look back and think, you know, I regret this or I regret that. I really don't, Erica. And, you know, what I would say to all the listeners is that, you know, all the guilt and all the shame can absolutely be removed and be replaced with nothing but gratitude and nothing but joy, nothing but hope for the mm-hmm. future um, through the recovery process. I just, you know, I want to shout it from the mountaintops. If I can do mm-hmm. it, you can do it. And I say that to everyone I come across 
Um, my family's mm-hmm. reunited. My children have forgiven me. And I've really been a beacon of light, um, you know, for my entire family, which has had multi-generational trauma and multi-generational mm-hmm. alcoholism. And, you know, I'm really proud that I was kind of the first one to raise my hand and say, I can't do this and I need professional help. And, and mm-hmm. that has proven to be, you know, a real catalyst for change throughout my family and to be able to use my story um, to help other families have that same experience. Mm, amazing. I mean, gives me chills because there's really so much multi-generational um, mm-hmm dependencies and alcohol alcoholics and, and, and drug addicts and, and so many of the families I work with and I mean and but we don't really see it that way people kind of want to turn away and and isolate sometimes and and take care of it themselves when that is not the answer like you said I mean it's it's asking for help it's it's getting treatment it's leaning on others it's it's t- it's teaching and sharing with your children I mean the thing is is that I see a lot and I, I don't know I want your opinion on this is that sometimes families need to be re-educated in a different way or we have right. to reframe it differently because for some reason, some parents have been raised a certain way. So they think, you know, don't speak, don't speak unless it's, it's something nice that you're going to say, or the, the communication lines are kind of all over the place. And, and sometimes to be humble and actually say like, you know what, this isn't working for my family. How can I reset? Or how can I learn how to do it a different way is, is something that is very powerful, and yet very hard for people to do. And I'm sure you work with a lot of families, but what is your experience in helping harder to reach families? Well, I agree with you. I think families have, you know, unwritten and even unspoken, you know, yeah. um, codes. And, and one of the things in my family was, you know, you don't air your dirty laundry. And so, Agreements. You, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, right. Agreements. Yeah. Exactly. And so, um, you know, and, and that was the, the way that I was raised. And, you know, that's the way my family's been for generations, even though, like I said, there's been just multi-generational layers of trauma and dependency and for whatever reason, um, a fire was lit in me, and when I needed to, to raise my hand for help, I raised my hands and I screamed for help. And so mm. because of that and because of my very painful journey, you know, that has become my greatest asset, honestly, um, mm-hmm. you know, my mm-hmm. children were able to raise their hands for help 20 years before I even had the language to do that in my own life. Um, you right. know, my father is now sober. My children are now sober. Um, one of my children actually works in the treat one of the treatment centers that I that I own and operate, and and I think that my story can be replicated in many families. It takes one courageous family member who is yes. struggling with pain and dependency to say, "I need help," and I'm not going to be shushed. I'm going to continue to say, "I need help," and I'm going to say it louder and louder and louder until I'm able to get that help that I need. And I'm going to integrate recovery into my own life until it just becomes the new way of thinking in, in family. And so, you know, in my family these days, um, Thanksgiving morning, for example, my entire mm-hmm. family is going to go to um, to a recovery um, uh, 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 softball, um, sorry, football, uh, what, what is it called? Touch football game, a recovery oh, touch cool. football game that they have in Austin called the Turkey Bowl. And so, uh-huh. you know, the entire family is going to be out there celebrating recovery, playing um, touch football and laughing and being joyous together. And that is setting up, you know, new traditions around recovery um, that that have never been in place before. And every single family has that opportunity to begin Mm -hmm. to make recovery a part of their own vernacular. 
Right. And in such a positive way, you know, I mean, in such a positive way, like sometimes, you know, and I see this and it bothers me so much too, that some families accept that their loved ones in recovery, they even may change a little bit, but it's kind of hush hush, you know, and you guys kind of, you know, like you said, embrace it, wrap your arms around it, hug it and, and, you know, and really, really shine with it and thrive in it. And I think that's so beautiful because I think it's such a positive decision to make in life. It's the healthiest, the best investment ever. And I, I just sometimes am perplexed by how people want to hide it or shush it or put it in a, you know, a box to the side a little bit. And I think if more of us and more families could embrace it the way you guys are doing it, um, the less and less, you know, stigma it'll have. And the more and more open people, open-minded and open-hearted people will be to embracing this kind of lifestyle. I agree. You know, not it's having contagious. to poison themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Poison is contagious and, and love and joy are contagious as well. Yeah, I, I love it. And so just a quick question, you know, I like to ask people in recovery that have had such great success um, thus far, what are some coping skills? What are some safe coping skills that you use on, on a day-to-day basis sometimes when you're stressed? You know, I know life for even us recovered people, you know, it comes at us sometimes. So what's, what's some of the things that, you, that keep you grounded? Well, I firmly believe that I'm never cured of alcoholism. I'm never cured of addiction. I believe if I, mm-hmm. if I started drinking today that I would, you know, want to drink more right. and, and it would set off, you know, something within my body. And so what that means yep. is that my job today is to stay spiritually fit, to stay connected to my higher power, to stay authentic to live by spiritual principles, and that means that I'm honest. That means mm-hmm. that I'm you know, courageous as, much, as best I can. But, you know, my coping, my coping skills are first and foremost to take care of my own spiritual and mental and emotional wellness. And mm-hmm. from that, I'm able to, you know, um, go out into the world and, and let that light shine. But that means that I do en- engage in a prayer practice. I do engage in a meditation practice. I do put healthy foods in my body. I do mm-hmm. um, exercise regularly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm just, I just try to really keep balance in all things. And, and one of the biggest parts of my life is I'm always willing and able to provide service to other people. Um, last night, for example, um, I had a long day at the office. I was driving home about 7 o'clock last night, and my phone rang, and it was a woman that's, that's new in her recovery process. She's got about three weeks away um, from a drink and a drug, and she was really struggling, and she was really in a lot of fear about the holidays. And, you know, even mm-hmm. though my mind might say, I'm too tired, I don't have anything left to give today, I always find that if I'm willing to be of service to someone who's still struggling with their own recovery process, I promise you, when I hung up from that phone call, my batteries were more charged than anything else that I had done during the whole day. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's just mm-hmm. a balance, you know, to take care of myself, but to make sure that I don't forget that, you know, I'm only going to be able to keep it if I give it away. And I believe that with all my heart. Mm, I love that. I really do. And and I and I it rings so true in my own life. And, and I just I really love that you're at least sharing this with others, because I think for a people become a little bit disengaged um, after a while, you know, I mean, there's, you know, you and I are in the recovery field, so it's different, you know, I, I actually thank God every day that I was able to find a role for myself in this uh, field. But, you know, there's a lot of also recovering people that are in different industries and have different things going on in our lives. And, and what I hear from them sometimes is when they do become so disconnected is usually when I meet them. And then they, they'll say to me, like, you know, it really is that I, I don't know enough people that are struggling and I and I can't really connect with people 
people like that. And, you know, and I think that we're missing that when we lose that fellowship or that community or at least that commonality. Um, it is hard. So no matter what I think you practice or what kind of, uh, you know, program you have, I think it is important to connect with people that are, are at least on the same vibrational level as you or at least choosing a healthy path of some kind. Right. I totally agree with that. And even if, you know, it, let's say that you're not an alcoholic or you're not um, an addict, you know, you're still a yeah. human being. And I think human beings across the board um, are built to be in community and built to be in service. You know, I have friends that are, are, are not, um, don't struggle with any substance use disorder, but they share the same exact thing. You know, if they're going to be able to go down and volunteer at, you know, a homeless shelter or a soup kitchen or whatever, mm-hmm. um, just to the extent that you're able to, to be of service to other human beings, um, do you feel better? I always say, you know, my life depends on other-centeredness because just to mm-hmm. the extent that I can, you know, share and give and provide some service for, um, for other people, I'm going to be um, so enriched. Yeah, absolutely. And so, what what is influencing you right now, or what is inspiring you right now? I know you just started, you know, Spearhead Lodge, and I mean, that's that's um, you know, that's obviously tons of inspiration from work. But what is it in your personal life? Do do, do you find do you find to inspire you, or or anything that's going on right now? Well, you know, I am just basically inspired right now by the whole recovery movement that's happening across this country. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying my best to get more involved on a on a local and, and state and even a national level because I love that recovery is part of the vocabulary of this country. And I'm just mm-hmm. really inspired to do my best, my personal best, to provide the opportunity recovery to as many people in this country and in this world as I possibly can. I know that sounds pretty large and lofty, but that really gets me really fire in my belly these days. Yeah. Oh, and it inspires me just hearing you say it. And, and, and that is that is the truth. I'm so happy that that the language is changing. So thank you, Marsha, for all of your hard work. And you can find Marsha at brcrecovery.com. And that's also that's www.brcrecovery.com. And Spearhead Lodge is www.spearheadlodge, S P E A R. H-E-A-D-L-O-D-G-E.com. Um, and then she's on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all under slash BRC Recovery. Marsha, thank you for being with us. You're listening to Rewired Radio on Radio MD. I'm Erica Spiegelman. Thank you for joining us and stay well. A great radio show may sound like it's easy to make, but if you've ever tried, you know that's not the case. With the time spent engineering, producing, and archiving, you end up losing focus on what really matters, the content of your show. If you put your show on the Gab Radio Network, you'll be able to leave all those technical worries to our staff of highly trained engineers and producers. And all you need to do is have fun and put on a great show. Want to find out more? Send an email over to sales at gabradionetwork.com. That's sales at gabradionetwork.com.